The age of the specialist in MMA is dying. Very rarely these days do we see the most dominant fighters have just one skill set. But even the most well-rounded fighters usually have a base martial art, and in most cases, it's whatever they started with. If you were a college bro, then you were probably going to wrestle. BJJ lads will generally go for submissions, and of course, we know what them Sambo fighters are going to try and do. At the international level in the UFC, we've seen people with world championship level backgrounds and achievements across a range of martial arts. But sometimes there's been these fighters who might have been training in a martial art their whole life, but pretty much straight up refuse to use it. Now, I know that might bring a whole bunch of fighters to mind like Dan Henderson or Tyron Woodley, but we want people that refuse to use it at the highest and international level. Both of those guys, for example, did use their wrestling to win world championships, even if they did turn into knockout artists. Some fighters had backgrounds in wrestling like Johnny Hendricks and became great strikers, but the best examples are people who never embrace their background. I'm talking about fighters who, in pretty much every instance, straight up refuse to utilize their martial art. I'm Bailey in from MMA On Point. As always, shout out to the MMA On Point channel, Hall of Famers. Thanks for helping support the content. And these are 10 fighters that refuse to use their martial arts backgrounds. Number 10, Takanori Gomi. You might not know about one of the Japanese MMA legends, Takanori Gomi. He certainly hasn't fought for a long time, but at the height of his career, he was beloved by millions for his style as an aggressive knockout artist. In 2005, he was named Fighter of the Year by pretty much every media outlet when he won the Pride Lightweight Tournament, and he did it with one of his signature spectacular KOs. Despite all that, what you might not know is that Takanori Gomi's first taste of combat sports was in the wrestling room. He was originally playing baseball but had to drop out of school because he didn't pass the grade. His dad disowned him and so he joined the Kiguchi Dojo and began training in catch and freestyle wrestling. He went on to compete in tournaments across Japan. He won four All Japan Combat Wrestling Championships where he beat some serious competition. But for Gomi, wrestling was never the game plan in MMA. Sure, sometimes he ended up on top and dropped ground and pound, but he was never really the one shooting for takedowns, just throwing in hands. I mean, there was that one unpredictable fight against Crazy Horse where he got a few takedowns, but in almost every other instance, takedowns seemed to be the last thing on his mind. Even later in his career in the UFC, where he probably could have used his grappling skills, he had 13 fights and he shot just one takedown. And you know what? We kind of loved him for it. Number 9, Benson Henderson. Highly dominant at times during his era of martial arts, Smooth Benson Henderson was an incredibly tricky customer in the cage. He had elite cardio, relentless wrestling, and could also submit you. He was also very good at controlling fights, and it led him to world titles in the WEC and the UFC, but he did it mainly with his grappling and his calf kicks, of course. But in 42 matches, though, Benson has only gotten five KO TKOs. It's not like he was finishing people with his striking, which is pretty interesting, actually, because his background martial arts is Taekwondo. Benson found wrestling while at school, like so many did, he excelled, but for someone from a Taekwondo background, it's rare that it's part of the game plan for Smooth. The biggest strikes he lands are pretty much always with his boxing, and his ability to take down opponents and avoid submissions really was the major key to his success. Also, sorry to tell you guys, but they don't even allow leg kicks in Taekwondo, so that's not where he got the calf kick from. I mean, we do on occasion see him throw some kind of crazy shit, but compare that to someone like Anthony Pettis or Yaya Rodriguez. Both those guys have Taekwondo backgrounds, just like Benson, and they use their kicks to win big, big fights. Benson was elite in a lot of places, but I think the biggest part his Taekwondo background played into his strategy was with his flexibility, if anything. Number eight, Vitor Belfort. 
After the Gracie's plan to expose Brazilian jiu-jitsu on a world stage was a complete success, with Hoist winning three of the first four UFCs, it was pretty clear that BJJ was a serious martial art and that anyone who had a black belt should be taken pretty seriously. That's when Vitor Belfort showed up a few UFCs later, and not only did he also have one of those Gracie black belts, unlike Hoist, he was also absolutely jacked and he was only 19 years old. But Vitor didn't show off any of that BJJ grappling, despite training with Carlson Gracie from an early age and winning two BJJ World Champions before he was 18, Vitor was only ever about the striking. And outside of that one fight against Joe Charles, where Vitor was injured and he had to use his grappling, and of course the John Jones fight, you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to find any instances of Vitor using jiu-jitsu as part of the game plan. Despite on paper usually having a grappling advantage, he pretty much always refused to use it. At one point, he was one of the scariest guys in the sport, and it wasn't because of his BJJ skills, let me tell you that. Number 7, Paulo Costa. Despite being the kind of guy who's made a career of walking down his opponents and drilling them with constant combinations, it's pretty surprising when you find out that his first serious martial art was in fact Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He picked it up as a team with his brother in Brazil. He sadly stopped after his father passed when he was just 17. His brother, however, had opened his own school and coaxed Paulo to come back to the sport. And it wasn't long before he began competing, eventually reaching the rank of black belt. But you wouldn't guess it from his fights where grappling seems to be the last thing on Paulo's mind. Pretty much exclusively, he tries to knock people out, and anyone who gets in his way, he's probably going to get punched in the face. He has just one submission on his record after Eduardo Ramon refused to go unconscious from his ground and pound, but apart from that, I don't think the idea of submitting his opponent even enters his mind. He has exactly zero submission attempts in all of his UFC fights, and I think he plans on keeping it that way. Number 6, Kid Yamamoto. There's a bunch of Japanese MMA stars that are worth knowing if you've not explored the history of that side of the sport, but one of my faves, and someone who often goes unmentioned, is Kid Yamamoto. But not on this channel, because I talk about him all the time. He ran through the Japanese scene and the lighter weight classes, at one point going 17-1, where the game plan was pretty much the same every time. Launch absolute bombs at his opponents and try to knock them out by any means necessary. Kid's first introduction to combat sports, though, was through his dad, who represented Japan as a freestyle wrestler in the Olympics, something both of his sisters also ended up doing and winning championships. Yamamoto actually grew up in Arizona and so took up wrestling in high school and won three state championships. That's a pretty good MMA background, but the kid was never really about the takedown. He was only ever about trying to knock you out. He has the fastest KO in the history of mixed martial arts and made a career out of being an all-action knockout artist, not a controlling wrestler. All his big wins are KOs. He had power that transcended weight classes and although if the fight ended up on the ground he had skills, he was never looking to implement his wrestling background, only the power in his fists. Number 5. Tony Ferguson It's pretty hard to describe the fight style of Tony Ferguson. I'd probably go with something along the lines of an endless whirlwind of elbows and leg locks. In his prime, he had a never-ending gas tank and a plethora of striking and even submission techniques that he used to break down, batter and basically run through the lightweight division. But for all the ways Tony has won fights, you definitely wouldn't say that wrestling has been, in any reality, a big part of his game plan, would you? Which is pretty interesting as it's what got Tony his start in MMA. He was a three-sport athlete in high school, but he won in college at NCAA 
BWA National Championship at £165. While working at a bar, it was actually a patron who noticed Tony's cauliflower ear from wrestling, which sparked up a conversation, and Tony was invited to come and train at a local MMA gym and teach some of the fighters some of his wrestling. And hey presto, El Kakui found out about MMA and decided to do anything but wrestle for the rest of his career. It's not like Tony has never gotten a takedown, but he's never the guy shooting or looking to control from top position. Despite his wrestling championship, his game plan has always been about his striking and his jiu-jitsu, and you can't deny that wrestling mindset has probably helped him as well, though. Number four, Chuck Liddell. Renowned during his time as perhaps the greatest knockout artist the sport had ever seen, the Iceman Chuck Liddell still holds the record for the longest knockout streak in history. He cut an absolute swath through the light heavyweight division, ending people with his vicious right hand. But also at a time where wrestling and grappling was still very much dominant in MMA, he did a fantastic job of stuffing and avoiding pretty much every takedown that came his way. It was a secret weapon Chuck had in his back pocket, and it all came from his background as a collegiate wrestler. At high school, Chuck was a star for four years on the football team and excelled as well as a wrestler. At college, he competed at the NCAA Division I level and after graduating, was later inducted into the Cal Poly University Athletics Hall of Fame for his achievements and level of skill. Despite all that wrestling, though, we never saw Chuck be the kind of guy to want to implement what you'd call a wrestling game plan. In no way was he ever looking to take you down and control you. It was all about using his kickboxing, which Chuck spent the next five years after university competing in before transitioning into MMA. Across his 12-year, 26-fight-long UFC career, Chuck completed eight takedowns, and two of those were against Vanderlei Silva in their epic grudge match, where his wrestling actually, yes, did help him win that fight. But outside of pretty much that one instance and maybe his UFC debut in 1998, Chuck flat-out refused to use his offensive wrestling, always believing in his striking and knockout ability. Number three, Yoel Romero. Most people on this list trained in their martial arts background for their early years and spent most of their pro-athletic career as an MMA fighter. Someone like Daniel Cormier, he spent most of his career as a wrestler before turning to MMA later in life. But his wrestling was always still a massive part of his game. But honestly, I can't say the same about Yoel Romero. The Cuban-born wrestler has a whole rack of gold medals from 98 to 2005, where he won championships at the Wrestling World Club, Pan American Championships, of course a silver medal at the Olympic Games. But deep down inside of Yoel, wasn't the beating heart of a wrestler, but a knockout artist. And he won his first four fights by finish before going on a run of wins in the UFC. He had terrifying striking. He was just landing knockout shot after knockout shot. The commentators would always talk about his credentialed Olympic level wrestling, but we basically never got to see it. The Oto Machida fight is a great example where for two rounds, Romero refused to use his wrestling. And then when he did try one takedown in the third round, he got it and immediately TKO'd the dragon. It was a glimpse into how effective he could be if he wrestled, which he just never really ever did outside of that fleeting moment and on very rare occasions. The rest of the time, the soldier of God was looking to send you to MMA heaven. Number two, Hector Lombard. For years, he dominated the regional scenes of Australia and the East Coast of America, building a historic win streak of 24 and also holding the Bellator Middleweight Championship. Lombard fought at 170 and 85 and carried immense power as a southpaw slugger who sent people reeling into unconsciousness with seemingly very little effort. Of his 35 wins, 23 are knockouts, and that was always the game plan from Lombard. Outpower, outmuscle, and basically out-badass the other guy. With all that being said, if I showed you a Hector Lombard fight, the last thing you probably expect him to 
have a background in is judo, a grappling art that essentially is about taking your opponent down as quick as possible and locking in a submission. Yeah, that's something Hector didn't really ever seem to believe in. In 2000, he went to Sydney and represented Cuba in judo at the Olympics, while in Australia, he would meet a kickboxer named Nathan Corbett who introduced him to MMA. And that's why a lot of his early fights were in Australia, where, yeah, in the first year or so of competition, he picked up three submissions. But across the next 18 years at the international level, Lombard refused to utilize his fourth degree judo black belt and instead pretty much only wanted to punch holes in people's faces. Now, of course, on the very rare occasion we saw it come out, he managed to beat Jake Shields in the UFC using a grappling game plan. But those are fleeting instances in an entire career that almost entirely revolved around walking people down and knocking them out. Number one, Justin Gaethje. Alright, well I'm sure if you're a fan of Justin Gaethje and you've watched any of his UFC fights, you'll know what kind of fighter he is. Perhaps the most blood and guts warrior to ever exist in MMA competition. He lives for the stand-up war and the glory of fight of the night. But of course, like so many of his American countrymen, his first combat sport was wrestling, something Justin seems to avoid now like John Jones tries to avoid a night out in Vegas. Justin started wrestling at just four years old, becoming a two-time Arizona State champion at high school, an NCAA Division I All-American at Colorado, and that's pretty much as credentialed as you can get as a future MMA fighter. Now, Justin has gone through some serious style shifts over his MMA career, and when he was just starting out, he was just a wrestler, okay? I'll admit that. He didn't have any striking in his game plan. He was literally trying to pick people up and just slam them down as many times as possible. But of course, the whole point of this list is that guys didn't use their background at the international level, at the highest level, and by the time Justin had a few fights and was making his way into the World Series of Fighting, his style had completely changed into a full-on brawler who only wanted to push the pace, swing for the fences, and batter you with leg kicks. The thought of taking someone down was completely thrown out of the window. Once he got to the UFC, that game plan didn't really work against the elite, so Justin again changed style, and despite having a good and credentialed wrestling background, Justin still refuses to use it. If you ask him, he'll tell you his wrestling is a part of his style, that his defensive work all comes from his wrestling, and to be fair, people compete in wrestling in different ways. Some guys don't even shoot takedowns, they just look to defend and snap you down. But in the UFC, Justin has a takedown average of 0.13 landed per 15 minutes, and in 12 fights, he shot just one takedown. And of course, we love him for it. By God, I hope that man never wrestles. Alright everyone, hope you enjoyed the video today. Not really a topic that we've ever covered, to be honest. Fighter backgrounds. I know there's a bunch of names you probably thought should be on here. You can tell us down below. Thank you to Max Randall. He edited this video today. Thank you, Max. Follow his social media at Max Randall. Or you can also check out his new YouTube channel, The Combat Arcade. Shout out as always to our channel, Hall of Famers. Thank you guys. If you don't know, here at the channel we've revamped our membership experience now. Okay, for just $7.99 you can get access to everything the members can have access to. That includes unedited podcasts, writers meeting, access interviews loads of cool stuff check it out link down below or click the button join and become part of the family if you fancy if you are new here and you're not subscribed you can click subscribe if you want to see more from us we do loads of videos every single week apart from that i'll be back in the next one thank you very much guys see you then peace